0: This is episode 55 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is author, speaker, and business growth expert, Mark Green. Let's get it started.
1: Just get started.
0: Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to introduce my guest for today, business growth expert, author, speaker, Mark Green. Uh, Mark works generally with CEOs, you know, running companies in the five to $400 million range in revenue, um, you know, that are kind of stuck in that growth trap, trying to get to the next level, need a lot of help, a lot of assistance. Um, so he comes in and really gives them a lot of guidance. Um, he launched his first book um, last October called Activators, A CEO's Guide to Clear Thinking and Getting Things Done. Um, so go check that out. And I'll put links in the show notes as well. But really a fascinating conversation. Um, he dropped a ton of nuggets on here that I think will be helpful for for anyone really. But especially if you're a young entrepreneur trying to start a business, some things maybe to look out for, uh, some things to navigate early on so you don't get maybe in some of these traps uh, later on in life. But um, enjoy the conversation. I know you guys will as well. So, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Mark Green. Let's get it started. Mark, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks for joining today.
1: Hey, Brian, I'm really happy to be with you today.
0: So, I'm excited to really dive in. I, I really want to pick your brain on a lot of things, especially from a leadership coaching standpoint. Um, I always like to take a step back, if we could start out here, and because I have to imagine, you know, being a coach and, and trying to help others, especially CEOs and others that are leading organizations. I'm curious how it, it's a two prong approach and, and I want you to kind of take it as you want to start. But how you got into coaching, why was that important for you kind of as a career? And, and then secondly, a little bit of your background, maybe of I don't know if there is there a scar tissue or failures that you went through. That's like, man, I've done this enough. Or I'm an, I mean, I can really help people out. I'm curious if you could start there and then we'll kind of morph that into some deeper conversations.
1: Well, there's the whole show, Brian. Um, I, uh, so let me let me unpack those separately and talk about why coaching first. And I found that people who ultimately find their way to do something they love, they feel they feel passionate about and they gain a lot of energy from typically have that thing through their whole life. And it's just a matter of them finding it or getting in touch with it and, and then building their career or their job or their business around what that is. And I think that's the case for me relative to coaching. If you turn the clock all the way back to middle school and high school, I was always the guy that everybody wanted to talk to. And I don't know why that was. It wasn't something that I was, you know trying to do, but I crossed all of the cliques and groups in, in high school in particular. I had friends everywhere. I wasn't in any particular group, but I was in all of the groups. And people felt very comfortable talking to me. And I enjoyed listening, and I enjoyed helping people. I was also, interestingly, the guy that everybody's parents loved, which helped me massively. Uh, during my semi-delinquency in high school because I was always able to cut a break um, the uh, the easy way, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so if you take that idea that I was the guy that always listened and the guy that people always talk to and then carry it forward, you can kind of see this loose journey for me um, into college, becoming a resident advisor, which is, which is this sort of a Coaching role for underclassmen and um, a little bit of den mothering uh, and living on the floor and that kind of thing um, and then I went into my career, and like most people started doing you know what I thought I was going to want to do, which is be in business and entered a management training program and It wasn't until really about fifteen years later almost that i I had the opportunity to really reset and step back and decide to create the business, this business, Uh, and uh, didn't even begin as a coaching company, began as a leadership development training company, and then evolved into uh, what it is today over the past eh, 15 or 16 years, so that's the path to to where I am. Let me pause there and see if you might have a follow-up question or something you want to dig deeper on.
0: Yeah, I'm just curious, you know, because obviously there was that span of 15 years between what was happening there. What was kind of the things that you were going through or did you have a lot of starts and stops of ah, maybe I want to do this and not? Or was it just, hey, I had other priorities and this is something I got to later in life?
1: It it was it was a journey for me to figure out that I didn't want to be working for anybody else. That's the short that's the short story. Okay. The, the longer story is I spent 10 years working for the company that I started working for right out of college. Uh, it was a technology company uh, that worked in the banking industry, and I went through the management training program um, and uh, ended up being laid off 10, 10 years later. And, and there's an interesting story about that in terms of a rebound, if we have time to come back to it uh, later on, because that was one of the seminal events in my in my developmental arc. And uh, that was a big company that I was working for, and I had to deal with a lot of big company stuff. And um, you know, from there, I worked f- for a couple of very small businesses in different disciplines. So I was out of technology, per se, into marketing and sales, uh, and then into the staffing industry. Um, and so those two moves kind of helped round me out a bit. But at every step of the way, I kept thinking to myself, ugh, this is like... First, I thought, well, okay, the big company's not for me, so let's try small. Well, th- then that one didn't work work well because the the owner was insane, and 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 there's always risk of that in small business. And so I went to another small company where I was partnered with the the founding the father of, who founded the company. I was partnered with his son, and we were going to sort of take over the business. And of course, that dynamic didn't quite work out. And so I kept um, running into these things that sort of painted this picture that. You know i i gotta do my own thing i gotta figure out how to go do my own thing and when i started seriously thinking about that that's when i really reflected and started connecting the dots all the way back to my youth and came up with the idea to launch my business initially as a leadership development training company where i was in a position to help people learn grow and improve um, as leaders. And I, and I did my work initially with entrepreneurs and very, very small businesses.
0: Well, if it's okay, because it, I think it maybe it ties the story together nicely as we go forward. Can you chat about that? What happened with the uh, getting laid off and, and kind of how that sprung mm-hmm. you into what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So I had advanced fairly rapidly uh, in this first company that I worked for in these 10 years and ended up in a position in New York City managing um, their relationship with the bank, with, with the bank. And, um, and it was a pretty significant position in, um, in the company at the time. And I was in over my head. I probably wouldn't have admitted it as readily at the time, um, but I was definitely in over my head. And uh, when the company needed to downsize, um, it I, I, I was on the list and, and, I, and in, on reflection, uh, I was an easy target at the time. It was a surprise for me. And, um, and I had this, this, this mental model <clears throat> of when this happened of automatically just thinking to myself, you know what, this is going to be one of the best things that ever happens to me. And that's, that's a pattern for me in my life uh, about really framing things the right way. Um, and not allowing things to be framed in a way that's not productive in a going forward fashion. Um, and in fact, in in my book, Activators, one of the eight activators is um, reframing the past. And and it's kind of this idea. So <clears throat> literally on the day that I uh, that I was laid off, I actually said to my boss who laid me off, I said, you know. Um, I just I want to thank you because although this is unfortunate, I just have a feeling that this is going to be uh, a really amazing moment for me uh, moving forward. And I carried that with me. So fast forward from there. You know, I I I landed. I did stints at a couple of small businesses. I decided to launch my company. I launched my leadership development training company. I iterated the business um, and. Uh, Fast forward to 2018, which was now 15 years, about 15 years after I launched my business just last year, and I uh, got an email from one of my clients, and he was emailing me to introduce me to a friend of his who was another CEO who was looking for a coach. And for the listeners, just for perspective, I, I work today with mid-market uh, CEOs and their executive teams as a team in my coaching. I maintain a very small portfolio of about nine or ten clients, and uh, my clients today are typically twenty-five million in revenue, up to maybe four hundred million in revenue. And so these are pretty pretty serious companies led by pretty serious people. And so I got this email from my client. Introducing me to uh, to one of his friends, who was the CEO, who is the CEO of the same bank that I was serving when I got laid off. And so, I went from essentially being, you know, an outsourced service provider buried deep in the organization who wasn't that good and ended up getting laid off, to winning this piece of business and now having this bank the ceo and the entire executive team uh, as my clients that i'm providing coaching to on a monthly basis and that, that's, that's the full that's the full circle story yeah, that and is and, and it kind of illustrates the point about you know that that i feel like this is going to be one of the best things that's ever happened to me and you know, I never know how it's gonna work out or where, but it always manages to to work out.
0: Now, when you started the the business, did you have what did you go kind of full throttle into it, kind of rip the band-aid off approach? Or did you have, you know, were you able to kind of dip your toe? Maybe you had one client you started to work with. How did that that those first few months or first year or so of that business start out?
1: I did not dip my toe in the water. Uh, I launched the business. And I was fortunate at the time. My my wife at the time, who's now my ex wife, um, had a had a career of her own, and so I was able to launch the business, not having to worry about things like health insurance and and some of those other things. Although we definitely needed the income, so there was some income pressure, but there wasn't pressure of having absolutely no safety net at all. And uh, I, I launched myself right into it, and. Um, You know had to essentially after my initial training in terms of how i was going to get started uh i had to start picking up the phone and cold calling because these this was a a demographic very small businesses and entrepreneurs that i really hadn't touched at all in any of my prior work and i landed i think it was within 30 days or 45 days of launching my business I landed my first client, which was a pretty substantial regional pest control company, and I closed a thirty thousand dollars piece of business with them, which was almost unheard of in the network that I was a part of in this leadership development training world, um, you know. And um, and, and I, I part of it might I could say, well, I made the calls and I and I did the work. The other part of it, I could say, I just got really lucky. Um, and uh, and that was my that was my start. Now I, I'd love to tell you that you know another month later I got another client, and another month later I got another client, and another month later I got another client. But that's not true. It really took about six months um, for things to start to catch for me, um, and for that business to really be able to uh,
0: evolve and grow. When you were, and again, this could be still current now, but maybe it was early on when you were making those calls. Did the folks you were trying to call into, did they think they needed a coach or needed leadership training? Or was that like something you had to really kind of show them, you know, kind of the ROI of that and really make them kind of buy into it?
1: Well, there's so there's two different things. If you're referring to the marketing piece, which is essentially getting somebody's attention enough that they agree to meet with me. It was helping them perhaps see some things that they weren't currently seeing in the business to get their attention enough that they would agree to meet with me. And then in terms of the sales process, which is, okay, now I'm sitting down and meeting with you and, and working you through a process to hopefully agree to do business with me. um, That was more about um, monetizing the value of the difference between the way things currently are, Versus the way things could be as a result of my work.
0: Are there like you know, if someone's listening right now and, and has a business or trying to grow it, are there signs that someone should look out to that to say, "Hey, I maybe I should seek out a coach"? Anything in particular you'd think of or, or share?
1: It, you know, there's so many different flavors of coaching, and there's so many different flavors of of need that it's just, to me, you have to believe your gut and you have to also be willing to listen to people around you. And if your gut says there has to be a better way, but your brain says, I just don't know a better way, that's a pretty good sign you need help from somebody somewhere. And the same thing is that if you don't think you need help, but you've got friends or colleagues or peers or forum mates who are saying to you, you know, you should uh, maybe talk to somebody or see about getting some help, um, then maybe you ought to do that as well. And the thing that's different about coaching today <clears throat> than when I have started is coaching today, my clients wear the fact that they have a coach today like a badge of honor, like they're geniuses for having a coach, not like they're deficient and, and therefore need help. And therefore, that's why they have a coach. And I think the stigma around coaching has really uh, abated over the years. And it's a very different um, industry and it's got a very different perception today than it did back when I got started. You, you, You get a coach today because you're already strong and you're committed to getting stronger, not necessarily because you're failing and you need to be rescued.
0: You know, and you mentioned something earlier, which, which I thought is a, is a great way to go about the business. But a lot of folks are, you know, they're always looking at scaling. How do I get bigger, bigger, bigger? You mentioned something about, you know, you kind of manage about nine or ten, you know, clients, a really core group. Why did you decide that was important for you um, as you started out and continued with the business? So right from the start,
1: my goals were very clear that this was going to be a lifestyle business. And 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 from the start, I don't mean from the day I launched the leadership development training company. I would say from the day that I f- really figured out that this was going to be a viable business for me. and um, And then I set my sights on this thing that I call a lifestyle practice because I didn't want to have other people working for me Um, I didn't want to build something that was sellable to other people. I wanted to generate um, really great income, have really great quality of life, which equates to time and flexibility. Um, And I also wanted to make sure I was in a position to generate massive value for my clients. And those three elements, using a little bit different words, are essentially the elements of my business strategy for this coaching practice. And and since it's, since I had cr- I created this, which is now about nine years ago in the current form that it's in, I've I've mentored and trained and taught other coaches around the world to use a very similar methodology and mindset to build their coaching practices as well. Um, because there, it turns out, there's quite a number of people in this profession who really like this idea of a lifestyle practice.
0: Is there one, and you don't have to give 15, but maybe one or two qualities of the best leaders, the best CEOs that you've worked with, and and maybe one or two of the worst qualities that you find in in those type of roles um, that maybe make it easy to work with or not, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, sure. So self-awareness is top of the list. Absolutely the top of the list. Um, You got to be self-aware to be an effective leader because you have to understand um, the effect Effects that you have on yourself and the effects that you have on others just by virtue of who you are and what you're doing and um and that's a prerequisite to being what i call coachable um which is a version of being a learner and and that is being open to hear things that you maybe haven't thought of before that you maybe actually don't even want to hear but that you're open to hear those things and be open to the idea of finding truth in those things and then having the wherewithal to, to do something about it and to take action. So that's a that's a big one. I would say that another one is your belief set around people, other people. And the, the, the favorable habit there for a leader is a default set that, generally speaking, people are good. People come to work to, to do the, the right things the right way and do the best that they possibly can. And that when things go wrong, it, it's not right to, to, to point to the people first. It's right to point to the leadership first or to the process that's going on first. Before even thinking about indicting the people that are involved, and so it's this uh, leadership habit I call believe that people are good it's the process that are bad it's another really good leadership habit and the third one i'll leave you with i have i have ten productive habits and ten unproductive habits in the book by the way. but the third productive habit i'll leave leave you with here is um to have exceptionally high expectations of others. others will live up to or down to the level of your expectation there's some pretty powerful research on this topic, as a matter of fact, and you have to have exceptionally high expectations of of your people. A little bit related to the last one, but it's really a different
0: item. So that, that's a good transition. I want to chat about the book a little bit. Um, so if I if I saw correctly, so this launched yeah. la- end of last year, fall last year, is that right? Yeah, it was October of eighteen. Okay. Well, so first question is why, why, why then, I guess I would say why now, but why then, why was it, why was it the right time to write the book last year versus a couple of years prior or waiting a few years? Why was it the right time for you?
1: So I had uh, colleagues telling me probably for the last six years, you should write a book. When are you going to write a book? You should write a book. And for four and a half of the last six years, my answer to that question was, I'm not writing a book until I feel like I really have something to say that will add to the conversation. Um, uh, It's a dirty little secret, maybe not such a secret, but most of the people um, I know who write books are writing books that's basically just their spin on other people's ideas. It's a regurgitation of somebody else's thinking. And the books are typically written for um, self-promotion or for building credibility with an audience or any of those things. And I'm not being critical of that because it serves a purpose and there's a strategy behind it. And it's a, and it's a, and it's a powerful mechanism you can use to drive your, your business or your coaching practice or whatever it is forward. I just didn't want to do that. And one of the reasons is my coaching practice has been full for probably the last six or seven or eight years. And uh, all of my referrals come word of mouth. And, and that's only when, if and when there's an opening in, in my practice. So I didn't need a book to find coaching clients. And I really felt like I wanted to wait until I had something new to say. And it was about two years ago that it finally came to me. And I was able to put the pieces together around the idea of activators, the concept of the book. And, um, and then agree with myself that this was definitely something that people weren't really saying or talking about. And that then led to the beginnings of the book, which, you know, fast forward through the writing process and the publishing process gets us to October of
0: 2018. And, and I did want to ask a little about the writing process, because it's always interesting to hear different perspectives. How did how did you go through structuring getting the book written? Did you did you sit and pound out, you know, uh, X for for days on end? Or did you kind of break it up a little different? How, how did you do it? Well, I had a vision for the book
1: and I had done a ton of research, um, a lot of uh, neuroscience and behavioral science research backing the concepts in the book. So that it took quite a bit of time. Um, but I decided to actually hire uh, an outfit to help me write the book. It's interesting. I'm, I'm actually quite a good writer. But I knew that if I was going to choose to write the book myself from scratch, it would never get done. And the reason was I just had too many other things going on. And that uh, I, my mental model was I can outsource that part of it um, and do very heavy editing and have the book be very powerful in my voice and have it be a very efficient process and that's exactly what i did and that's the way that we produced
0: the book and and what about getting the word out how how did you guys promote it um how did you go about kind of getting people to know it was out there
1: it's a lot on social media uh i probably didn't do the best job of it quite frankly and and again it's it's because it's it wasn't a primary driver for me my my Philosophy and goals around the book are much longer term, and, and my my mantra is this is a marathon, not a sprint, and because um, it's it's more about the speaking that I'm going to be doing around the book and and the impact that I can have and how that set of activities dovetails with um, where I am in my practice, where I am in my life right now, and. Um, A bit of sort of changing in my in my life and starting to ride off into the sunset some and have some fun travel with my wife, perhaps around the book and around um, speaking that I'm doing. So, again, it's tying into this idea that I'm optimizing my business for 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 my lifestyle and income simultaneously, not necessarily favoring one over the other.
0: And we could probably talk for hours about the book, you know, obviously there's a lot of great stuff in there. Can you talk, there's one thing, cause it, it kind of stems to where I want to go and talk about mentorship and stuff. And I'm curious if, if I kind of relate it correctly, you talk, you say change your neighborhood as a, as a part in there. Can you talk a little about that concept it, it, just around? Cause I think that's really neat around, you know, you hear a lot of folks with the, you know, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with stuff like that. I'm curious, your thoughts on change your neighborhood, why that was important to put in there.
1: Yeah. So I'll share the story that's in the book on this. I was in the market to buy my first home. And again, this is with my first, my first wife. We were sh- starting to shop for our first home. And my grandpa, Ben, who's my mother's father, uh, my maternal grandfather, said, hey, Mark, as you're starting to shop for your first home, I, ha- I just have one piece of advice for you. I said, sure, what, what is it? What's your advice? He said, listen, whatever you do, Don't ever buy the most expensive house in the neighborhood, because over time, there's only one way that the other houses in the neighborhood can affect the property value of your house if it's the most expensive house. And at the time, it made perfect sense to me relative to buying a home in real estate. And of course, I thanked my grandfather, and I heeded his advice. I I took his advice, and I've actually used that advice in my real estate transactions throughout my entire life. It wasn't until probably 12 or 13 years later, I had started my leadership development training company. I had grown that business in this network that I was a part of, that I was affiliated with, to be, I was one of the more successful people in this, in this network. And I realized one day that Grandpa Ben wasn't just giving me real estate advice. He was giving me life advice because I had become among the most expensive houses in my professional neighborhood at that point in my development. And it was that insight that caused me to look outside that network that I was a part of and find another network of practitioners to affiliate with. And these were people who were far more capable and and accomplished than I was at that time. And I made that change. And it was that story and that event from from my own practice that always stuck with me and turned into the change your neighborhood activator because we get comfortable in um, in our networks. We have what I call comfort zone networks. And they're the people we like to hang around with. They might even be a peer group if you're participating in a peer group type organization or a networking group, or um, even personally, just a group of friends. And the real question is, are you hanging around with people, with anyone on a very regular basis who is so much better than you or so much more accomplished than you that it actually feels like you're putting your ego at risk when you're in the room with them because you never know what the next challenge is going to be. And those are the people who get you out of your comfort zone and those are the people who can help you really accelerate and grow and that's the idea behind the change your neighborhood activator and tool and to help us get out of these comfort zone networks
0: that's a, that's a great little story that's pretty cool that uh, that kind of you know transcended you know a dozen years or so to help you out in in the career even later on so it's pretty neat um, do you have any mentors? Um, and I'll even go further than that. Some folks, you know, they say, you know, I don't have any mentors, but they read a lot of books, or maybe it's to listen to podcasts. You know, I kind of quote-unquote say virtual mentors. Um, anyone like that, or anything that you listen to to absorb you know, new learning, new content, those type of things. It's
1: a combination of things. I, I have uh, a small number of colleagues who I consider to be mentors on demand. And I'm able to tap into them. Uh, we're all at the same level now where I think we, we sort of are reciprocal mentors to one another. Um, so I have a small number of people that, you know, again, I can tap into as, as I need them on specific things. I also participate regularly in a mastermind group. And I'm sure that's a term that your listeners are probably reasonably familiar with. It's a group of people, um, you know, roughly at the same level of accomplishment who get together on a regular basis in service of one another um, relative to making sure that we're staying accountable and that we're continuing to learn and grow as a, as a group. So I have a mastermind group. That's another form, I think, of, of, of mentorship or, or coaching that I have actively. And finally, if I am an exhaustive reader. I have to be if, if one of the prerequisites for Um, my clients is their ability to be learners and coachable, then as a practitioner, I'd better be that myself, or I'm not in integrity with, I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. And that's a big, big problem. And so I'm a, I'm a very avid reader. And um, I mean, I could get into all kinds of books and and content. Um, One, um, one person who I follow very closely uh, is a gentleman by the name of Shane Parrish. And, um, he, uh, he is an expert on mental models and decision-making. Um, and his blog is called Farnham street, F-A-R-N, uh, F-A-R-N-H-A-M, Farnham street. Um, and he's got a great blog and a great podcast, and there's a lot of rigor to it. And it's all about adding rigor to decision-making um, which is really one of the key things that I help leadership teams evolve into. Um, and I'm a big fan of Shane's and, uh, and listening to and reading his, uh,
0: his content and also books and things that he recommends. Is there one, to put you on the spot, is there one book, if you had to pick one, maybe it's the last year or so that you read that was impactful to you? My number one
1: book right now in 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 my mind and that I'm um, using with a lot of my clients is called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And uh, the subtitle is The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. It's uh, it's a re- the books that I gravitate to are all research backed. So you know, not just somebody saying you know this is what it should be because I'm saying it should be, but these are there's real rigor to these books. And um, you know, I help my clients build culture. And there's really good tools for that. Um, But this book is like the graduate level class of culture building and team building. And so I have a lot of clients with really great cultures already. And this book is super helpful because it's really helping uh, them think about and take their cultural practices, the things they're doing as leaders, to to make the culture the way they want it to be and to make their teams operate at peak efficiency, it's helping them take all of that to the next level.
0: You know, with all the stuff you're doing, you mentioned, obviously, travel a lot, doing speaking, those type of things. Is there anything you do on a daily basis, maybe habits, um, Mm -hmm. certain routines you have to keep to kind of keep sane on your end, Um, things that you do that you would share that have been helpful to kind of your day-to-day focus?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Top of the list is the, the, the basics of health. Um uh, how do I how do I say this? Top of the top of the list would be things like sleep, um what I eat, working out, staying fit, um, and um I guess the well, those are the so oh and hydration. Those are the four that are that are like to me just absolute give me's. Um, I'm very, very mindful of staying, staying well hydrated. I'm very, very mindful of what goes in my body and my wife and I eat very cleanly. Not that I don't have uh, you know, days where I go a little crazy, but, um, by and large, we, we eat very, we- very well. Um, I, uh, uh, work out with regularity. That's a habit. And I also keep my sleep cycle as regular as I can. Um, I'll give you for instance, I was out in, I'm I'm in uh, New Jersey in the New York metro area and I was out in San Diego a couple of weeks ago for about five days. And even on cross country travel like that, I will typically try to stay as close to East Coast time as I can while I'm away um, because it just helps me stay with the right energy. Uh, And so I was literally at the gym at like, you know, 4.30 in the morning, um, and up and ready to go, went to bed, you know, probably 9pm, 9.30pm, and was able to essentially do that trip back and forth, really with absolutely no effect of the time change. So those are some really important baseline habits for me that help me keep the right energy and help me show up the way I need to show up um, for the things that I'm doing in my in my life. Um, the other thing that I'll add to the list as a habit is a habit of gratitude. And I don't necessarily have a specific time of day or a ritual around this as much as just a constant awareness of gratitude. And it's it's almost like that story I told you about when I got laid off from, uh, from that first job thinking, boy, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. It's this idea of going through my day, just being grateful for things being grateful for things that are great, being grateful for things that aren't great, um, reframing, finding perspective, um, and just being very mindful of that. I believe in this so much that the, the very first thing that I do with every one of my clients in a, in a meeting, and now picture a boardroom with maybe six to 10, the CEO and six to 10 executives sitting around the room, um, we start every single meeting off with a round of appreciation. And everybody in the room takes a turn and says one thing in that moment that they have professional appreciation for, and one thing in that moment that they have personal appreciation for. And it's like this round of gratitude to begin the meeting. And it it really helps put people's heads in a, puts people's heads in a great spot to begin our work on whatever the challenges of the day happen to be.
0: So I'll ask if, and I kind of like to do this more open forum style, you can take this however you want. Um, but you know, obviously, think of your whole career, your whole life, right? All the different things you've learned, people you've been around. Is there, you know, one piece of advice you kind of live by? Maybe it's a quote. Uh, maybe it's something else you might want to share. Some parting words um, to to the listeners that you know could be helpful to kind of get them along on their way, the day, week, you know, next month, next year, etc.
1: Sure. Um, so a couple things that come to mind, not ironically from my book, because I wrote this from the position of my own experience and what I see in so many other people. Um, Number one, realize that the voice you hear in your head is not you. And the voice you hear in your head is just a voice. It's not speaking the truth. And you have the opportunity to choose your truth and to avoid or uh, diminish the impact of the voice in your head. Um, and I hope everybody knows exactly what i 'm talking about when I say the voice in your head because it 's there, and if you 're thinking to yourself what voice well that's the voice um, and uh, and that's a that's a really, really big thing um, and then I would come back to uh changing your neighborhood as just the second really, really critical thing if if you work to surround yourself with people who are better than you. More accomplished than you, or have accomplished what it is you hope to accomplish, it it is only going to accelerate your progress. And it's not something that most people do very deliberately. We tend to fall into friendships, we fall into circles um, quite by accident. Whereas if you get better at curating these things and really being mindful about who you're inviting into your brain, which is really what what it is. When when you surround yourself with people, um, really, really great things will happen as a result.
0: Where, where's the best place for people to find you or connect with you
1: online? So I'm on LinkedIn at Coach Mark Green. And the book website is activators.biz, A-C-T-I-V-A-T-O-R-S dot biz, B-I-Z, And you can get in touch with me there. The book is available on Amazon uh, at barnesandnoble.com, Kindle, and also Audible.
0: Mark, this has been a really pleasure. I appreciate all the insight you shared and uh, some great stories there, obviously, about what you're doing and and how you're helping a lot of folks. So thanks so much for coming on and uh, and sharing that with everyone.
1: Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you a lot. And uh, it's been great to be with you.
0: Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode or have been enjoying others along the way. Um, And if you don't mind, it'll really mean a lot if you guys head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Um, Give me a rating on there. Um, I certainly appreciate that feedback to make this podcast better each and every episode. Um, And please connect with me online. Instagram's probably the best, um, at BrianAndrako. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O. Or go ahead and check out my website, brianondraco.com. That's where I house a ton of random crap like the podcast and my CrossFit journey and a variety of other blog articles. Um, And sign up for my newsletter. Be sending a little bit of uh, inspiration each and every week that uh, may be useful for you. So I certainly appreciate guys listening in. Thanks again. I hope you have a phenomenal week. And we'll talk soon.
1: Let's get started.